Today's Bible reading comes from John 10. So I'll give you some time to open your Bibles from under the seat in front of you up to page 1075. So reading John 10, verses 1 to 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by, by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And uh, please keep that passage open, John chapter 10, and uh, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know us and that you love us, and through Jesus you call us by name. Help us to hear the voice of Jesus this morning and to follow wherever he leads us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some of you know, um, late last year, a team of us went out to parks uh, in regional New South Wales, and uh, it was a fantastic time away. We were there to help um, some of the farmers who'd been affected by the drought, 
And uh, at the last minute when I was there, I was asked to help out with the kids club uh, on Friday afternoon. I said, I'm very happy to help. So I had to rack my brain very, very quickly to figure out what I was going to preach on. Um, and so I'm like, hmm, what passages do I know about farming and farms? And straight away, John 10 uh, came to mind. And so as I started my talk with the kids, I asked them this question, what do you know about sheep? And so they gave the usual answers. You know, they're white, they're fluffy, they like grass. Um, but then one of the, one of the uh, answers kind of amused me. They said, sheep? aren't that bright. They said, sheep are kind of stupid. Now, um, I did a little bit of reading about this to see whether or not this reputation is true. Apparently, um, scientists are trying to debunk this theory. Um, so they, they, they do these little tests that show sheep actually aren't as silly as or stupid as we think they are. And uh, they like to give this example that there is a, a bunch of rogue sheep in Yorkshire who managed to break free from their paddock. And the way they did it was the leader of the gang uh, went up to the, you know, the cattle grid and that sheep got on their back and kind of rolled over the cattle grid and all the other sheep followed uh, that sheep out and so that's they use that as evidence that sheep aren't as dumb as we think they are uh, but actually, I think uh, generally the consensus is that sheep aren't too bright. And, uh, and you know, even, even in the English language, we have uh, words uh, that involve the word sheep, you know, fra- um, phrases that, you know, we, if we say we're a bit sheepish, uh, what do we mean? We mean we're a bit embarrassed because we've done something stupid, you know? Now, if you say, oh, you're just a sheep, it means what? It means you're mindlessly following the crowd, right? Uh, and that's because I think sheep tend to wander off and get lost. You know, sheep tend to mindlessly follow the flock. Uh, they're not that fast. Um, they're not that strong. And I would say in order to survive and thrive, uh, sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus comes along in our passage today. And you know what he says? He says, actually, people need a shepherd too. In fact, they need a good shepherd. And that's exactly what Jesus says uh, in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. That's a beautiful image. Uh, And so what does it mean actually for Jesus to be our good shepherd? That's what I want to look at this morning. Um, I want to look at uh, what this passage teaches us about the way Jesus loves us and looks after us as the good shepherd. And I think uh, this passage teaches us at least three things. It means he knows us, he provides for us, and he died for us. As our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus knows us, he provides for us, and he died for us. So let's have a look at each of those in turn. First of all, Jesus knows us. Have a look with me at uh, verse 1, page 1075, if you've lost it. Chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. What's Jesus talking about? Well, um, as we've been working our way through John's Gospel, we've seen that Jesus continually comes into conflict with the religious leaders of his day, and he's especially um, railing against the Pharisees uh, because Jesus believed they were using the people for their own gain. Um, Jesus accused them of not really knowing uh, the sheep that they were looking after, the people that they were looking after. They didn't care about them. And they, uh, Jesus often refers to the ways in which they make up rules and pile on all these um, requirements um, really to hold on to power and to feel superior uh, to others. 
Actually, we read about this in Ezekiel 34, which I think is a prophecy um, about the Pharisees and other bad leaders of Israel. And uh, Ezekiel 34, um, God says this, he says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. You have ruled the flock harshly and brutally. So God says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock. I myself, says God, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And so Jesus sets up a very sharp contrast here in John 10 uh, between himself as the good shepherd and as the religious leaders as the bad shepherds, as thieves and robbers. And to get this point across, uh, Jesus uses a metaphor of, uh, of the sheep and the sheep pen, which we'll come to in just a second. But first, I just want to focus on what Jesus means when he goes on to say in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. It's a beautiful picture of unity and intimacy, just as the Father and the Son know each other. So the shepherd Jesus knows us, his sheep. And so um, it's in ancient times, um, shepherds really did know uh, their sheep very well. Um, you know, if you were a shepherd, you didn't have your wealth tied up in, you know, bank account or in stocks or something like that. No, you, all your wealth was very woolly uh, and liked to bleat. And, uh, and so your wealth was what you, you know, the sheep were your livelihood. Um, and so the shepherds spent all their time with their sheep. They protected them, they looked after them, they cared for them. Um, the shepherds knew their sheep and their sheep knew them and their sheep knew their voice. Uh, so have a look with me at verse 3. Jesus says, the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse 4, when he had brought out all his own, uh, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Uh, if you know much about uh, farming in Australia and generally the Western um, Hemisphere, we tend to uh, sort of drive our sheep from behind. Maybe we get a border collie or something like that and yapping at the, uh, you know, the sheep's heels. They sort of do a semicircle and sort of push the sheep forward. Actually, in the Middle East, both in ancient times and today, apparently, um, shepherds called their sheep from the front. Not from behind, but from the front. They said, come. And uh, it reminds me of uh, a time when I was a boy. Uh, we had this beautiful little dog uh, called Sammy. Fortunately, I couldn't find a picture of Sammy, but that's a picture of my brother's dog, Frankie. Um, who sa- it's crazy, uncanny resemblance to our old dog, Sammy. But uh, So Sammy was, uh, just like this one, a very tiny dog with a big attitude, right? So Sammy would uh, take on dogs 10 times her size, uh, and they'd like, they'd back down, right? So that's how sort of yappy she was. And uh, she was a total scallywag, like she was constantly getting into trouble um, from the council rangers. You can, uh, you can ask my parents about that. They had to pay a lot of money, uh, I think. And um, she was constantly getting out of our property. We had no idea how until one time we caught her in the act. She kind of wiggled up between the fence and the, this tree because we uh, sort of found this hair on the tree as well. She sort of wiggle up like a caterpillar, I don't know, and then sort of somehow turn and then climb up the branch and then get onto the wall and jump over our next door neighbor's wall like a cat, you know. Um, incredible. Very intelligent little dog. And uh, so often there were times in the afternoons when we're like, where's Sammy? Uh, and occasionally it was my job to go uh, find her. And so what did I do uh, to find her? Well, of course, I'd go out to the street and say, Sammy, dinner time. And uh, I'd say that a few times. And somehow my voice just cut through the noise 
of the neighborhood. You know, over the noise of the cars, the lawnmowers, the kids playing in the street. She could hear my voice through all that was around her. And she came running because I knew her. And she knew me and she knew the sound of my voice and she knew that I cared for her. And so she came to get some food. (laughs) And that's what Jesus is saying here about us. He's saying he's the good shepherd. He's saying he knows us. He cares for us. You know, what I love about that, if you think about it, he knows all of our faults. He knows all of our foibles. And yet he loves us all the same. And so he calls us by name. And in this passage, Jesus just assumes that if you belong to him, you will hear his voice and you will follow him where he calls. He just assumes that. And so for us, I I do want to say, like, I think there are a lot of voices competing for our attention. You know, like the noises in the neighborhood, my little dog. Um, There are a lot of noises competing for our attention. And I dare say there are voices of thieves and robbers that would try to sort of steal us away from following Jesus. And so, you know, on the one hand, you could say that there are false teachers, uh, there are friends and family who really go out of their way to try to get us to water down our faith and say, you're mad for following Jesus, you know, you take it too seriously, just relax a bit on that. Um, and so you know what I'm, I think what I mean. There, there are those who, who try to do that, but I think other voices than Jesus can be a bit more subtle um, than that. For example, whose voice do you follow um, when your, your boss or your client says, just tell a little white lie to get the deal done? But the voice of Jesus says, no, tell the truth. Whose voice do you follow when your emotions say, I'm never going to forgive that person for what they've done to me? But the voice of Jesus says, No, no, forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Whose voice do you follow when our culture says, you won't really be happy unless you seek riches or respect, power or prosperity, success or sex appeal. But the voice of Jesus says, no, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else you need will be given to you as well. Whose voice do you follow when your health fails or your finances run dry uh, or a close friend uh, betrays you and a murmur in your head says, God's not there, he's not for you. But the voice of Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? He is at work in all things for the good of those who love him, who are his. You see, there are a lot of voices that compete for our attention. Verse 5, Jesus says, But we will never follow a stranger. In fact, we run away from the stranger's voice because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Yet Jesus calls his own sheep by name, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice and they know he loves us. So that's point one. Jesus knows us. Secondly, Jesus provides for us. Have a look with me at verse 9. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The sheep will come in and go out and find pasture. 
Well, as promised, um, here's where I want to unpack this metaphor of the sheep and the sheep pen that Jesus talks about in verse 1. Um, in Australia today, uh, we tend to keep our sheep in great big paddocks, you know, as we discovered at parks, uh, you know, surrounded by miles and miles of um, wire fencing. Uh, but in ancient times, they kept uh, their sheep in uh, sheep pens uh, that looked a bit like this. And during the day, the shepherd would lead out their sheep into to pastures. Uh, and then at night, the shepherd would round up their sheep and lead them into the pen. And uh, because at night, there was great danger. You know, there was danger of uh, the sheep being stolen by thieves, um, of the sheep being eaten by wolves, or of the sheep just sort of, you know, mindlessly wandering off and not being able to find their way back. And so the shepherd in ancient times would uh, actually sleep in the entrance to the sheep pen. And they would physically act as a gate, you see, because... Um, the sheep could neither go in, uh, you know, no one could come in, the sheep couldn't go out, except through the shepherd, when the shepherd was blocking the gate or the entrance. So I think that's what Jesus means when he says that he is the gate. And I think that means for us at least two things. Uh, on the one hand, it means that Jesus provides protection. Um, above all, uh, Jesus protects us from our greatest danger, which is God's punishment for our sin. Uh, But not only that, Jesus protects us from the things that lead um, us away from him. Uh, Metaphorically speaking, he protects us from thieves and wolves and wandering off. And uh, I think for us, that means Jesus protects us from false teachers. Uh, He protects us from the attacks of Satan. And he protects us uh, from the selfishness of our own hearts. How does he do that? Well, Jesus, as our shepherd, he instructs us uh, by his word And he gives us his own spirit in our hearts that we might delight to obey him and walk in the way of life and love as we follow his commands and follow in his footsteps. So Jesus provides uh, protection, uh, but also he provides pasture. What if you noticed in verse 9, it says, The sheep not only enter into the pen, it it says they will also uh, come in and they'll also go out and find pasture. That's because generally there was no food uh, in the pen. Um, and even the, uh, they would have to actually go out and find pasture outside. And uh, even to this day in the Judean countryside, um, there could be very treacherous areas. Uh, a lot of places would have looked like this, where you have sort of patches of pasture, uh, but surrounded by wilderness. And you can see why Jesus, he talks about going out and finding pasture. It wasn't like the English countryside where there's, you know, lush grass everywhere. Um, in many cases, a shepherd would actually have to lead his sheep through the wilderness to find pasture. And I think for us, um, this idea of the green pasture through the wilderness uh, is, in, in my opinion, what Jesus means when he's talking about life to the full. Have a look at verse 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they, the sheep, may have life and have it to the full. I think most of us are tempted to read that phrase, life to the full, and assume that Jesus, you know, means he wants to give us full health, full, you know, wealth and flourishing relationships right now. I want to say Jesus loves us. He does want to bless us with good things and in his timing. But I believe that the thing he wants for us above all, the greatest thing he can give us is actually that we might know him and walk closely with him. And in John uh, chapter 17, verse 3, which we'll come to later, Jesus actually defines what he means by life 
by what he means by life to the full. He says, now this is eternal life, he says, that they may know the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom the Father has sent. And so I want to say, knowing God the Father, knowing Jesus, that's what life is all about. You know, that's what we were made for. It's so good for us. It's, it's the greatest good. And I dare say that sometimes God will withhold good things from us. Sometimes he'll withhold health and wealth and flourishing relationships, good things, in order that we might grow in the greater thing of knowing God and knowing Jesus. Now, that, come, that might come as a bit of a surprise or a shock uh, or a disappointment for some of us. Uh, but quite helpfully, I was listening to a podcast uh, the other week where they were interviewing this guy called John Ortberg. Um, he's a theologian. And um, he was saying that he believes that the church in the West, to a large extent, has sort of misunderstood salvation. He says, uh, we kind of lean towards thinking of heaven and salvation as this sort of pleasure factory uh, in the sky. He was saying, uh, we tend to think of salvation and heaven a bit like, um, you know, the show Star Trek, where the sort of the world is falling apart and we kind of just want to call up to, you know, up in the, up in space and say, beam me up, Scotty, you know, so that we can get off this place. And, um, in contrast, John Ortberg makes the point that salvation actually, it's not about a place in the sky, you know, fundamental, I mean, it, it, in a sense, it is a place where God comes down and renews the earth, but fundamentally, heaven, salvation, it's about knowing and following Jesus. He has some great lines, which I wrote down. He said, salvation isn't so much about getting you into heaven, it's about getting heaven into you. He said, heaven isn't so much about relocation as it is about transformation. And I think he's right. I think salvation and, you know, life to the full, it's fundamentally about knowing Jesus as our good shepherd. It's about following him. And, you know, as I said, he is the source of all blessing. He does want to bless us in his timing, in his way. But fundamentally, life to the full, it's about being with Jesus. It's about going where he goes. It's about doing what he does. It's about following his voice that we might be with him and that we might be like him. And, you know, maybe, um, maybe right now, you know, you're following Jesus and it's hard. You know, maybe your job is frustrating and maybe your kids or your grandkids are, you know, being a bit of a pain in the neck. Maybe your health is giving out and, you know, you're being diagnosed with a condition, you know, you'd never even heard of. Maybe key relationships in your life are really strained right now and it feels like you're in the wilderness and you're following Jesus and you're looking around and you can't see anywhere where you could go for green pasture. If that's you, I want to urge you, keep following Jesus. Don't wander off from him, especially not right now while you're in the wilderness. Wait upon him. He loves you. He's the good shepherd. He knows how to lead you to green pastures. Reflecting on uh, John 10 uh, this week has really brought out for me the beauty of Psalm 23. So I know we know it and love it so well, and uh, we tend to only uh, read it, seems to me anyway, we tend to only read it at funerals, uh, like it's a psalm for the dead. I want to actually say, no, it's a psalm for the living. It's a psalm all about life to the full. 
And I want to read it for us now. And as I do, I want to invite you just to consider what does it mean for you right now, in your life right now, for Jesus, for the Lord, to be your good shepherd. So why don't you reflect with me as, as I read it. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's point two. As our good shepherd, Jesus provides for us. He provides protection and pasture. And finally, uh, as the good shepherd, Jesus died for us. Have a look at me at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You see, in Jesus' day, um, the religious leaders were bad shepherds because they used the people for the sake of their power. But Jesus is the good shepherd, you see, because he uses his power for the sake of his people. And what that means is, you see, he came down from his heavenly throne and he became one of us. He became a sheep, as it were. He became a man and he suffered and died. And he didn't just die as an example to show us, you know, sacrificial love. No, he died as our substitute. And he did it voluntarily. Have a look at me at verse 15 at the end of the verse. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, he says, the reason that my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my accord, my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. You see, Jesus is absolutely clear. He wasn't, you know, just a a victim of circumstance. He says, no, I chose this. He said, here I am, send me, I volunteer. You see, the price of our sin is death. Either we have to pay or, or Jesus would have to pay. And Jesus says, I will pay. You see, that's how much he loves you. That's how precious he has made you to be. And probably my all-time favorite illustration of what Jesus did for us on the cross is from uh, this great book uh, by Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. You guys, has has anyone read Tale of Two Cities? It's a fantastic book. One of the only few books uh, reading which I have cried, actually. 
And um, as many of you know, it's a story uh, of two people, um, Charles Darnay and Sidney Carton. And uh, what you need to know about them is they look identical, and they both fall in love with the same woman, a woman called Lucy. And as the story progresses, Charles is the one who gets the girl, and uh, they fall in love, and um, they have a child together. Uh, but as um, circumstances happen, Charles ends up becoming arrested um, during the French Revolution by the revolutionary government, and he's found guilty of crimes against the government, and he is sentenced to be executed by guillotine. And uh, it turns out Sidney had made a promise to Lucy that he was going to do whatever it takes for, this, for, for, for her sake, for the sake of their family. And so he makes good on that promise. So on the night before Charles is scheduled to die, he visits, Sidney visits Charles in prison. He tricks Charles into swapping clothes with him. And then Sidney does the unthinkable. He drugs Charles so that Charles is then knocked out unconscious and he arranges for Charles's body to be, uh, unconscious body to be taken out to an awaiting carriage. And then Sidney, in the place of Charles, stays in that cold, cruel cell until the grim morning. And finally the morning arrives and um, Sidney is led out with all the other prisoners to be executed. And as they're waiting in line, there's this um, very nervous seamstress. She's in tears, she's anxious, and uh, she, for comfort she turns to Sydney, who she thinks is Charles, and she starts talking to him as though he's Charles. And, you know, Sydney's trying to sort of say, look, you know, just give short answers and, you know, for her not to look too closely. And all of a sudden she thinks something is unusual. She looks closely and then her eyes go big and she says, oh, you're dying for him. And he says, yes for his wife and child too. And so the story ends with the guilty man, Charles, being led away out of Paris in a carriage with the, with the wife and the child that he loves, and the innocent man, Sidney, stepping up to the guillotine, and then finally, wham, his life is no more. And friends, I think that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. I think it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus means when he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, he died for you and he died for me. He died in our place, you see, as our substitute. He died the death we deserve to die so that we could get the life that he deserved, the life with God, life to the full. That's why he came. I don't know what voice is loudest right now in your ears and in your heart. But let me tell you this, all other voices will beckon you on. All other voices will call you and call you until you die for them. But not this voice, not the voice of Jesus, not the good shepherd. You see, he died for you to give you life and set you free. You see, he knows you. He provides for you. He died for you. So you can trust him. Follow him. And even though it might feel right now like you're being led through the valley of the shadow of death, cling to him. Follow him that you may have life and life to the full. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that though we were like sheep going astray, you have laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. 
Father, we praise you that he is the good shepherd. Please would you help us to hear his voice and follow him wherever he leads, that we may know you deeper and enjoy life to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ben. Uh, As we've just been thinking about Jesus is the good shepherd, Uh, he knows us, he provides for us, and ultimately he dies for us. And we're going to celebrate that now together by sharing in the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper is really a, um, it's the gospel visualized, isn't it, as we eat and drink. Uh, We eat the bread, which is symbolic of the life that Jesus lived among us, the life that we should have lived but couldn't and didn't. Uh, and the the wine symbolizes the blood of Jesus, that is his life, his blood spilled, his whole um, body sacrificed for us to pay for the, the the penalty that our sins deserved. So when we eat and we drink, we're really symbolically remembering the gospel itself. Uh, so it's a symbolic meal. It's also a believer's meal, which means it doesn't matter what age or denomination or background you have. You are, If you've turned and trusted in the Lord Jesus, you're more than welcome to share in this meal together. And equally, I would say, if you wouldn't yet consider yourself to be a believer, I invite you just to remain seated as we share in the Lord's Supper and to reflect on what it means for Jesus to be the Good Shepherd for you personally. Of course, before we uh, eat and drink of uh, the Lord's Supper, we need to prepare ourselves. We do that via uh, confession and also from the words of Scripture. So we're going to have a prayer of confession. It's up there on the screen. Now, I would like to give you a minute just to think of it. Uh, to prepare your hearts before we say, before we pray those words together. So a moment of quiet. 